Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and FTX, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, October 7th, and today we are talking about Binance hacks, Celsius leaks, and so much more. Before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdown pod. Also a disclosure, as always, in addition to them being a sponsor of the show, I also work with FTX. All right, folks. Well, today, as I mentioned up top, we are catching up on crypto, and it has been a fiery little end to the week here, with the big theme being about the problems of centralization. Before we dive in there, though, let's discuss for just a moment the U.S. jobs numbers that came out this morning. As we know, the Federal Reserve is laser-focused on jobs. They've made it clear that they believe that the tight labor market is a major barrier to fighting inflation effectively saying that until they see either inflation itself come down or the labor market really start to show signs of softness, they're going to keep tightening. Now, of course, there is a ton of debate around this. I've described in a past episode why I wish the Fed would spend more time exploring or articulating if and how they think things have changed in the jobs market structurally since the end of COVID. Whatever their reasoning, they've made it clear that they need to see a softening in that market before they think differently about tightening. Today, we got official payroll numbers for last month. And in the world of bad news is good news, investors were hoping to see unemployment up and new jobs down. What we got was the opposite. Now, it wasn't a major shock in either direction, but payrolls climbed 263,000, which was a little higher than the 255,000 that economists anticipated. Economists had also anticipated the unemployment rate to hold at 3.7%, but it actually fell to 3.5%, which matches a five-decade low. This, of course, gives more justification for the Fed to stay tightening, and so stocks opened lower. Really, honestly, kind of a round-trip week from excitement and October discussions at the beginning to the return of reality to send us off into the weekend. But let's move now into crypto land, where on Thursday night, Twitter started noticing huge amounts of BNB moving around. Someone said, and I apologize, I couldn't find the exact tweet, that it's only in crypto that you can see $500 million on the move and wonder whether it's a hacker or a whale. Turns out, hacker it was. So TLDR, BSC is the smart contract-enabled blockchain launched by Binance. In this particular case, the bridge which allows BNB tokens to be transferred onto the BSC network was exploited, allowing the hacker to withdraw 2 million BNB tokens out of the bridge and into their control, worth around $560 million. The attack vector was similar to other bridge exploits we've seen in the past year. The hacker forged a withdrawal request, which the bridge incorrectly processed. The hacker then bridged the stolen tokens out, using the stolen BNB tokens as collateral to borrow Ethereum, Avalanche, Phantom, and Polygon tokens before bridging the assets back to their native chains. BSC validators halted the blockchain after a few hours, keeping most of the stolen tokens trapped on BSC, with around 100 million worth of tokens successfully bridged out onto other chains. Effectively, the hacker was just trying to get things out of there as fast as humanly possible across a variety of protocols. Some tokens have been frozen with Tether blacklisting the hacker's wallet swiftly. In total, Binance claims around 7 million has been frozen on other chains. Early on Friday morning, the chain was brought back online with a validator software update that blocked the hacker's address and disabled the BSC bridge, which was exploited. 
This means that the smart contract platform is functioning again, but there will be a delay in re-enabling the ability to move assets on and off the chain from centralized exchanges. Now, something interesting about this particular hack was that, as I mentioned, the hacker went straight into DeFi lenders and pledged the tokens as collateral to try and get liquidity as fast as possible. This spiked interest rates across various lenders. It looks like the hacker is unlikely to return to pay back the loan so they'll get liquidated after a while, but it sort of begs the question of who buys the liquidated collateral, and are they handling stolen goods at that point? There are a bunch of people trying to explain this whole thing in layman's terms. Zero X Fubar wrote, Somebody on BNB just got hacked for around 2 million BNB or 600 million USD. The attacker is spewing funds across liquidity pools and utilizing every bridge they can to get to safer chains. Complete chaos on the chain. Is this diversification? Now the entire chain has been paused, as clear confirmation as you can get. Something's gone horribly wrong. With BSC paused, looks like the hacker has 400 million of assets stuck on CZ chain, and low nine figures out on more censorship-resistant blockchains. Given infiltration into various DEXs, lending protocols, and bridges will be tough to unravel. Now, as with any hack, there was confusion at the beginning, with the official communications from Binance only giving away so much. BNB Chain first tweeted, due to irregular activity, we're temporarily pausing BSC. We apologize for the inconvenience and will provide further updates here. Then, to confirm, we have suspended BSC after having determined a potential exploit. All systems are now contained, and we are immediately investigating the potential vulnerability. We know the community will assist and help freeze any transfers. All funds are safe. We want to thank all node service providers for their quick and attentive response. A little later, CZ tweeted, an exploit on a cross-chain bridge, BSC Token Hub, resulted in extra BNB. We have asked all validators to temporarily suspend BSC. The issue is contained now. Your funds are safe. The current impact estimate is around 100 million USD equivalent, around a quarter of the last BNB burn. Now, there were a variety of reactions from the community. One was to ask if there were implications for Ethereum. Nick H. at Hashbender, the CEO of Luxor Mining, wrote, About 50 million made it onto Ethereum. So a bunch of people are wondering about how Ethereum validators will deal with it. First big hack that touches Ethereum post-merge. They can stop BSC, that's fine, but the coin's already swapped to ETH. Now we'll find out how decentralized Ethereum really is after the merge. This could be quite the Rubicon moment for post-merge ETH 2.0. Still, most Ethereum commenters just use this as a chance to point out how centralized Binance is. Ryanshot Adams wrote, Pause the chain, freeze the funds, roll it back. This is a bank with extra steps. Eric Connor wrote, Two years ago, there was a couple-month stretch where people actually thought Binance Chain was an Ethereum competitor. I fought so many dumb reply guys about how the chain was run by one entity and was not decentralized whatsoever. Two years later, the chain is completely paused. The great thing about bear markets is everyone gets time to understand what was a LARP and what wasn't. Now, to some extent, I think these takes are, while legitimate, also a little silly. The value proposition of Binance Chain was never about it being as decentralized or censorship-resistant as something like Ethereum. It was about making a trade-off against that for speed. So this is sort of just part and parcel of, I think, what people expected. Now, to the extent that people thought Binance Chain was actually as decentralized as Ethereum, well, then I completely understand these takes. I just don't get the impression that that's most market participants. Another take on Twitter was that it was notable that the price of BNB didn't actually tank. Jeff the Dunker writes, so BNB just suffered a massive exploit that would have crippled 99% of projects and it only dropped 5% while currently hovering at down 2.5%. I don't think betting against CZ and Binance is a good idea. There were also a number of still-so-early type of tweets. Mike Dudas from Six Man Ventures wrote, Feels like we're still experimenting in the lab, but instead of losing mice, we're losing money. Finally, there was a lot of questions around CeFi masquerading as DeFi, which has been a pretty common discussion for the last couple months. 
Ryan Selkis of Masari writes, The Celsius rug and docks and the BNB exploit and coordinated shutdown are two examples on the same day of how hard it is to separate CFI and DeFi. True open protocols should be protected, but we can't die on the hill for centralized companies. The issue is policymakers look at massive hacks and losses and see CFI masquerading as DeFi. Makes them want to capture the whole ecosystem without exception because they think DeFi is bullshit. Not because the protocols aren't powerful, but because they're not actually decentralized. Want to keep more profits when trading? Get the best possible prices and trade with 50% lower fees on Nexo Pro. The new spot and futures trading platform uses aggregated liquidity of over 3,000 order books collected from multiple sources. Utilizing the complete Nexo suite allows you to earn interest and borrow funds as you wait for the next trade setup. Visit pro.nexo.io. That's pro.nexo.io and sign up today. The breakdown is sponsored by FTX US. FTX US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets with up to 85% lower fees than competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. One of the largest exchanges in the US, FTX US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. When you trade NFTs on FTX, you pay no gas fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code BREAKDOWN to support the show. So let's shift now and talk about the Celsius thing that Ryan mentioned in that tweet. As part of its court filing, Celsius submitted a 14,500 page long document that contained a ton of highly sensitive information, such as customer names, transaction types, and amounts, which services customers had used, crypto wallet IDs, types and quantities of tokens held, basically, in other words, everything. Yesterday, that data was leaked and Twitter was incredulous. Henry de Valence wrote, Seems like, among other things, anyone can now dox all the on-chain activity and addresses of any named Celsius user by matching the dates and exact amounts to transaction data. Lawrence, a trader at Sand Capital, writes, If you ever use Celsius even once, you are now name and address doxed. Very cool and normal behavior from an utterly psychotic platform that deserves to be absolutely burned to the ground. End quote. And to be fair, at this point, there has been no explanation given to why this level of detail was required by the courts or if it actually was. Nick H. Hashbender again says this Celsius leak may go down as one of the greatest breaches of customer information ever. Names, balances, and transaction IDs, any wallet that's ever touched Celsius is now exposed and linked to an ID, a perfect demonstration of why KYC only hurts honest customers. Selkis again writes, this is what I would present to every single sitting member of Congress as evidence for why private Web3 transactions are not just a nice-to-have, but a fundamental and constitutionally protected right. This is exactly the point, by the way, that people who are focused on changing the KYC and BSA regime discuss. Capturing this data means this data is available for capture. We need a new version of Murphy's Law, but for the internet and for private personally identifiable information. Basically, at some point on a long enough timescale, if data can be leaked, it will be leaked. And so if we require institutions to collect this type of data, it's really only a matter of time. Anyway, a couple more quick stories and then we're out. The text for the EU Markets and Crypto Assets, or MECA, regulation has been finalized. The bill will go to a vote on October 10th. The key provisions of the regulations deal with registration of crypto firms that service EU customers, 
mandatory white paper disclosures for newly issued tokens, and granting the power to make rules and govern markets to the European Securities and Markets Authority. The treatment of DAOs has been cleaned up, with them being excluded from the regulations. Quote, where crypto asset services as defined in this regulation are provided in a fully decentralized manner without any intermediary, they do not fall within the scope of this regulation. One thing that many people have been watching is what the treatment of NFTs would be, and right now there is still no clear line drawn between tokens and NFTs. That means that NFTs could fall under this regulation depending on how the regulator interprets their power. A restriction on stablecoin circulation to 200 million euro or 1 million transactions remains, which could present an issue for major stablecoins that already exceed these limits. Interestingly, a lot of the commentary on Twitter is sort of positive around this. Gabriel Shapiro, the GC at Delphi, said, Based on latest convos about the final Mika draft, I definitely think the EU has stolen the US's regulatory thunder on crypto for now. Want to offer a token? Just publish and file a white paper. There's no permissioned registration regime, no transfer restrictions, etc. Beautiful. There are some ambiguities around what tokens still constitute financial instruments, aka securities, but I expect it will come out in the wash. The big remaining question mark is DeFi, as that is carved out from Mika. How will the EU handle it? Will it respect its purposes? All the more reason for crypto projects and people whose life and career revolves around crypto to avoid the US, where I suspect many of us lawyers are wasting our time intricately debating US law, while the rest of the world races past our backwaters. Brandon Isaacson, a GC at Cartesi, had a similar thought. Bottom line, he writes, when compared to the current US regulatory tone, Mika affords crypto projects a presumption of innovation potential rather than a presumption of fraudulent behavior. All of this seems very positive, but until I get to see the text myself, I'm going to keep a little bit of skepticism. Last up today, I want to talk about the latest indication of post-narrative institutionalization. Now, for the uninitiated, post-narrative institutionalization is something that I've been describing for a while in which as opposed to the institutions coming into crypto during the bull market, which tended to carry with it a strong narrative component, both from the industry side, as we were actively involved in pushing the narrative of institutions coming and that being a reason for people to get excited, as well as from the institution side, who wanted to get the headlines that came with them starting to experiment with Bitcoin and crypto. Anyways, if that was what characterized institutions coming to the space in late 2020 and throughout 2021, Post-narrative institutionalization is the process that has been happening throughout this year, where companies continue to build out their infrastructure for the crypto space, where big Wall Street giants start to launch new crypto products without much fanfare, and where very traditional types of financial providers, such as retirement accounts, start to add this capacity all during a bear market. It's quite clearly all positioning for the future, and it continues to happen basically regardless of what's happening day-to-day -day from a price perspective. In a research report released yesterday, Morgan Stanley said that the market for crypto exchange products is growing despite this crypto bear market. Morgan Stanley notes that despite total assets in crypto-related products dropping 70% from $84 billion to $24 billion, of the more than 180 active crypto exchange-traded products and trusts, half have been launched since the beginning of the Bitcoin bear market. The report says, quote, The crypto exchange products market will continue to grow. The bear market hasn't deterred asset managers and financial companies from launching ways for their clients to get access to digital assets. End quote. In fact, fund launches accelerated this year despite the decline in crypto prices. Over the last year, eight new exchange-traded products have been launched each month on average. I share this not to try to dig too deep into some sort of hopium, but just to point out, once again, 
that when the world's biggest financial institutions continue to plow into the space, perhaps in different ways than they did before, but clearly positioning for the future, it's hard not to be kind of optimistic about what the future holds. For now, I want to say thanks again to my sponsors, Nexo.io, Circle, and FTX, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace. I want to tell you about Coindesk's new event, the Investing in Digital Enterprises and Asset Summit, or IDEAS. The event facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join Coindesk October 18th and 19th in New York City for a 360-degree investment experience, where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets. Use code BREAKDOWN20 for 20% off at General Pass. You can register today at coindesk.com ideas.